0: Okay, so just to get started, if you don't mind giving a, a brief introduction to, of yourself, your background, your interests, and then uh, we can go with the questions from there.
1: Um, yeah, my name Tommy Miles. Um, I'm a, uh, actually working in IT uh, as a contractor. Um, and uh, in the 90s, I was a, a PhD student at Columbian History uh focusing on french fascism and colonialism um specifically uh in french west africa and um studied in dakar um traveled in pamako and yame and all around uh back when that was much easier and and uh and safer for white people um and uh retired from that a uh without finishing my dissertation and um and <laughs> became at some point thereafter about a decade after a hobbyist uh academic which is an odd thing to do with your time um but uh i'm lucky enough that i know and uh have been given space for some reason, by a number of people who are real academics. Um, And uh, let's see, I don't know what else. Um, I'm primarily interested in um, the post-independence history of Niger and Mali. um, And um, obviously, the focus on Mali um, has grown over the years, given the tremendous crisis that Mali's in. Um, and, uh, let's see, I'm a Marxist, um, of a sort of broad church variety. Um, I was an anarchist in my youth, involved in, uh, the AIT affiliate in, uh, New York City, um, and then, uh, became involved in the Socialist Party, uh, where I was NYC chair for part of a decade off and on uh and the only thing I do now is DSA make of that what you will um that's my background uh if uh if I can help you out in any way I'm happy to just uh let
0: me I haven't prepared a a
1: presentation so
0: yeah no need I just have some questions on your thoughts and we talked via email about your Mm. analysis of the situation in Mm. Mali right now. So I'd be interested in just starting off with like what you make of recent events, particularly the coup, the coup in Burkina Faso as well. And then maybe we can talk more about the broader history, France-Afrique and other things like that.
1: Well, I mean, my, my take pretty aggressively is that uh, this is inevitable given the post-91, post uh, uh settlement um, under the constraints of neoliberal capitalism, um, which the states have withered away and there's very little left. Um, the, you know, people in the 90s spent a long time, I guess still do, decrying the, the crisis of legitimacy of African states. And I don't like African, um, discussions of Africa seem bizarre to me given the size and complexity and variation across the continent, but in the little, not little, the large corner of, of West Africa that I spent some time and studied, um, boy, it, it, you could have seen this coming, um, you yeah, know i was thinking actually yesterday about the fact that when um Atete was overthrown one guy was killed um one of his presidential guard looked out a window and got shot um when ibrahim bubakar keita um got overthrown nobody got killed I, in in both these cases Nobody wants to die for these regimes. Okay? Even people whose job it is to die for these regimes. And I mean, I think that tells you everything you need to know. The problem, of course, is that I'm preaching to the choir. The that places like Mali and Niger are just caught in a neoliberal trap of they don't have budgets. They don't have have the ability to to sustain the state that they're trying to build. Um, they're completely dependent upon Bretton Woods institutions in France and other people to, to, uh, make up, you know, 40% of their budgets. Um, and they're even where they do have resources, those resources, they're so boxed in by the prescriptions of, of the IMF that they don't make real, very good money off of it. Um, so they're just, they're shadow states. Um, and it's not surprising that other forms of legitimacy, which abound, and obviously, given colonialism, um, have come to challenge them so completely. And Mali is is the warning of, because I don't see a way out for Mali. I mean, that's the thing that's scary is, and with what, what happened yesterday, it's going to get even worse, because they're one strategic partner that they thought they could Bring in to try and counter um, broad broadly Western French U.S. influence is now going to become radioactive, um, and that's going to be. And you see the same thing. What's what's interesting about Mali? I was thinking of yesterday, in preparation for this, is the the comparisons with Central African Republic are are uh, apt. Great now, uh, which no one would have imagined 20 years ago. I mean, Mali was the bon élève It was the 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 shining under AOK. It was the leader in democratization. Um, and, you know, the African studies world, especially in the U.S., but also in France, loved Mali, loved the Malian government, thought that they were building this stable democratic future um and you know they tried to do that they and the, you know the, the the fault but you know, i think really ends up being to a large extent is that they really did try and do what the 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 western international community told them was the only thing they could do and now they're they're in the same basket case as the central african republic which you know famously for Two decades, at least, couldn't control much outside of Bangi. Um, it's it's disastrous. It's uh, I I don't see a way out for them. It's it's, now uh, uh, disheartening. Um, anyway, um, I suppose I could could ramble on, but you might as well ask me what you what you what you are interested in.
0: Um, Yeah. So just to pick up on on what you were saying, uh, in particular, like you just mentioned Russia. So what do you think the impact of the beginning of this conflict between Russia and Ukraine will be in the situation with Russia being the only alternative, as you were talking about, to French or European intervention?
1: Well, I'm a pessimist and hopefully I'm wrong. Um, But, you know, I think the U.S. government is going to come out of this very wounded And very belligerent. Um, They really fucked this up pretty royally. uh, And it's not going to play well politically like they thought it was going to. Um, And there's already been, as I'm sure you've seen, a building of the foundations for a new sort of Cold War of the democracies versus the authoritarians, um, which, you know, of course, Somehow it gets uh, Saudi Arabia on the side of the democracies. It is, but, the, you know, they either believe it or think that we believe it enough that that it's a construction that that I think the United States is going to go for. And so two places where that's going to be really easy pickings is going to be Mali and Central African Republic and France demanding really that. Uh, and i 've already seen france twenty four you know uh, released two packages early this morning like five a m when I was still up um, of kind of resumes of Wagner in um, Mali and Russians in Central African Republic summing up their previous reporting you know that 's that the french are are we're hammering that before, but there, if the U.S. goes looking for, for people to punish, the French are going to spend a lot of time and effort making sure that, that these are two countries the U.S. punishes. And the U.S. can do a lot of damage, uh, just with its, its ability to lean on Bretton Woods institutions, not to mention SOCOM in the neighborhood and all sorts of things.
0: And to what extent do you think that the withdrawal, so to speak, of Operation Barkhand, which preceded this this past week, is now going to have a new context with the beginning of this conflict?
1: Oh, I I, I, I think it is. And I I think, you know, I talk to people who know more than me about what goes on with French and European diplomacy. Uh, And I was told, you know, six months ago, um that they were really mystified at what the french were doing that they were really pushing for a break and the only thing they could conclude um even though it didn't quite st- even then make sense was that it was for electoral purposes running up trying to look tough for this this coming election for macron um but that uh, the um, embassy and consular people um, in Bamako and elsewhere were as mystified as everybody else was um, that that this was a a really calculated high-level calculated French government push to start a crisis with Mali over this um, and to throw their weight around a lot. Um, now whether that meant simply they wanted out. Um, or they wanted to look tough, or who knows. But this is just going to embolden that strategy. And the the, the degree of intemperate language, I saw you a know, thing from the the ambassador to Cote d'Ivoire uh, the other day. He said, I can't even remember what it was, but it was something just jaw-droppingly, insensitively phrased about Africans. And it was like, how do you get to be... The, of all places the code of the ambassador there with so many, much anger right and and say dumb get in front of a camera and say dumb shit that's belligerent shit um it's i, I mean i i guess you should always you you don't um you look to to stupidity over over malice um but there's the French, the French have really mystified a lot of people who had faith in them and their their professional ability uh, in how they've conducted this and I don't think they're going to conduct there's any reason they're going to conduct themselves any better they're going to conduct themselves much worse um, over the coming year unless Goeta well, uh, and those folks get overthrown um, which they could you know this is this is the point I'm, I'm a not I'm not a big Coup behind every corner uh, guy, I tend to think that it's not that those days are gone, but that the people who plan those things or support those things feel that they have more leverage than needing to do that most of the time um, these days, um, because the power balance is so, so in their favor. But this is a circumstance that I can see people from a number of countries behind the scene. Knocking off both both him and Todera in in, um, in Central African Republic, um, I mean, it could get get bad. And then what happens? Like the Malian army is saying, "Oh yeah, we, we cleaned out the 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 Gourma, the well, I guess they call it the Three Borders region now in three days." And I mean, God, I hope that's true. Um, but I don't think it's true and you're not going to be able to hide it for very long if it isn't. And we all remember, unfortunately, how quickly everything collapsed in in 2012. I mean, the things I remember hearing from people is like Mopti is empty. And that was the main staging point for for moving on to the big ga- bases in Gao and and Timbuktu. And, you know, once the, the Kona fight happened and i guess it was two or three times the malian army was pushed back they just ran they just took off the generals led by getting the hell out going to bamako um i'd like to think that they've they've rebuilt the army in a way that is is functional but i i'd have to see it and i don't i think we're gonna we're at risk of finding out at some point that this is just, just all um, stage show. And when, you know, Iadagali or somebody decides that they really want to take a big town again, um, it may just happen. Um, and then, then where are we? You know, if, if nobody's going to die for the presidents, are they. I haven't seen a lot of evidence that people are going to die for uh, to prevent an Islamist takeover Um, or some negotiated Islamist government like uh, Mauritania without the racial element, hopefully.
0: So what extent do you think that Gwitza and the other members of the. The transitional government, you know whatever term you want to use, are recalculating their strategy because, as you said there there seems to be a push towards negotiations, and that was the alternative yeah. to the French line of no negotiations with the jihadists. Yeah. to what extent do they change that now that they've lost the ability to have a negotiated okay. end under their terms with a military like Russia that can actually help them? secure yeah. that and now they're under duress and may have yeah. to accept a settlement so how do you think that that changes it's gonna i mean i
1: i i have little ability to get into the, the i mean i i'm of two minds about goita personally um chogol i i i think is entirely focused on malian politics. Um, He's been the only winner from the Malian political class, but everybody's tried. I mean, everybody. Pretty much everybody tried to get with the junta, and he's the only one who successfully did it. Um, and I think that's his genius and his primarily primary focus. And I don't. Um, I, it's, the fact that they're putting so much stake in russian trainers or fogner or whoever it is that they say they're going to get because they keep changing publicly what they're saying doesn't give me a lot of faith in um in their ability to calculate what's going to happen here because it's just you know say it is as the first reports when people first got on the ground say it really is as many as 400 um trainer mercenaries. that's not going to make I mean, it'll make some difference, obviously, but you're not going to be able to retake Kidal with 400 Russians, even if they do burn every tent they come across and kill everybody. Um, the uh, the odds folks and the muzhao folks or the IS folks or whatever they're called now, GSIS, um, they'll eat them for breakfast um these are, these are tough guys i mean the the odds people have been fighting in in this area for almost 20 years now living in the bush off and on um they know what they're doing um and i i i think the idea of retaking kidal is just not is a non-starter um even with russian help so yeah i don't I don't know what their reaction is going to be. I, I keep making sort of feelers to Malians that I know saying rethink this. This is not going to work. This is going to put a huge target on your back.
0: Um, but I don't know. It just, there there don't seem to be good outcomes. And I, I'm interested more in uh, pivoting kind of from the current crisis with Russia A little bit going more into um, what you were talking about with the 1991 crisis with, uh, you know, focused on Mali, but then also a general analysis of everything that's happened since 1991 with the 1994 devaluation of the CFA franc, the imposition of structural adjustment. And there's a lot of commentary by someone that we are reading in writing this article, Romana Idrissa, covering the situation his article on mapping the Sahel, he talks a lot about the French desire to what it's perceived in Mali is the French desire to create some kind of Tuareg state in the North of Mali. There's, there's perceived favoritism towards the Tuareg, but then in in general, there's been a push towards the decentralization of Mali, right? You know, less focus on, uh, on Bamako supremacy over the rest of the nation. So, I guess to bring that into a contemporary context, how are Malians thinking about this now that France has again withdrawn and no. really repositioned its troops to Niger, to Burkina Faso, uh, to Guinea? And is there still this kind of belief that the French are trying to do a state engineering project mm-hmm. in Mali? Or is it more now thinking about like what is the changing role of of France-Afrique now that Mali seems to be temporarily off limits for the French?
1: Yeah, um, I mean, I, I can't speak for Malians uh, and the diversity of opinion of Malians that I I speak to um, uh, is just that, it's, it's a great diversity of, of uh, opinions of whether France is a uh, mm-hmm. colonial vampire, Um, which I mean, I, uh, in a lot of senses, I don't disagree with, um, but you know, a lot of people that I talk to have a very sort of mechanistic view of this that, uh, and it all always depends on the idea that underneath the subsoil, there is great riches that the French want. Uh, and I don't, I honestly don't think that's the case. I think the French could have taken those riches at any point if it had been economical, uh, and it hasn't been. It's going to be interesting to see whether this lithium mine takes off, but I, I have my serious doubts. Um, you know, the gold majors have almost all left Mali, and not because of the war, because the big mines are are declining. Um, at the same time, they're this, especially since 2012, 2013, there's been these huge gold rushes, of popular mining uh, all over the Sahara and and everywhere else. Um, so there's this idea that I think a lot of Malians have that well, obviously it is a rich country, um, uh, but that it, this is primarily about immediate seizure of resources. Um, when my guess is that it's much more about keeping states in line because of sort of a domino effect to those that, like Niger, do have really substantial, easily portable resources that France depends upon. Um, And the French global imperial project at large depends upon people not getting out of line. Um, What do Malians want? I mean, I'm always... uh, Again, as an outsider, I'm always struck with how Malians I talk to um, are immensely forgiving in the political world, Um, are able to, in ways that as an American, I can't fathom, put aside politics and say, all right. We were enemies yesterday. We are friends today. We're all Mali and We're all going to stick together. Even those those folks who uh, are separatists, who are uh, Oswadian nationalists, um, go in and out of the fold of Malian nationalism um, to a degree that I find personally incomprehensible. But Malians don't find incomprehensible. And so,
0: um, I. think Think that um, Malian
1: opinion writ large, uh, from everything I've read and from people I've talked to, who are and the people I talk to are not obviously a representative sample of Malian opinion, given the rural population. Um, people, I mean, I, I'm talking about people who live in Bamako, people who live in Gao, people who live in a couple other places. Um, and speak French, um, which is obviously a tiny sliver of the population, Um, but that they think that they can work with the French, um, but they want the French to respect them, um, and they think that if the French respect them, Mali will be prosperous and develop in a capitalist uh, way. Um, And they think if the French don't respect them, they will kick out the French or be able to kick out the French and get along fine without them. Um, But obviously there's a huge variation opinion. I have trouble seeing whether either of those are really, really likely. Um, I think I skipped over something in your question, Major. Um, do you want to restate? I mean,
0: sort of the the decentralization, right? The idea, oh. I don't know, to what extent does that sentiment come across to you of this belief that France is trying to, and I think you were getting at it, right? Because the perception always from the West is mm. it's always about the resources. It's always about we, we do coups so we can get oil. Mm. There's that kind of perception, I think, and there's this inability to grasp i mean of course you you should be materialistic but there's uh, people don't really get the grandeur of of france mm-hmm. right like its yeah. desire to be whatever in the middle in the middle power in the cold war now today it's like struggling for relevance in in justifying why it's on the un security council so it does these
1: well, things so
0: I, yeah. yeah
1: i would I, I would also always tie that into material conditions and material rewards as well as you know because those arguments from the historiography about French empire legion which you're probably well aware of um it, it needn't it needn't be about grandeur to be not about molly's particular um resources um because it's part of a whole interlocking schema of French power that has real material benefits for French firms, um, the French state, uh, French defense contractors. I mean, France is, is has long been special in having, in the face of American dominance, uh, having a parallel system of defense contractors and power companies and yada, you know, everything that a great power has. And um they they have lots of of benefits from having this loose neo-colonial system um beyond uh you know grandeur um but decentralization i think you know, you've mentioned it a couple of times and i think it's uh, personally it's one of my hobby horses um that the, you know, the decentralization drive comes out of, well, it comes out of uh, uh, the experiments and um, um, development studies in Latin America, but wholeheartedly adopted in the 90s by NGOs and the UN um, and great powers in relation to Africa, in particular, Africa writ large. Right, everybody needed to decentralize. But then there's this notion that a lot of Malians buy into uh, or believe in that I, I have I'm skeptical about is this notion of the Jacobin state that the the, the 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 Malian state is too centralized. Um and you know I think part of that is, is just dislike of this imposed system and there is a there's a lot of centralization but I don't think much more centralization than most than say Ghana um, obviously more centralized than than uh, um, Nigeria but Nigeria has then the opposite problem that uh, Mali has as well uh, though it's not acknowledged enough of You know, every state governor is a a little dictator um, and a little resource manager and a little, um, you know, head of state. Um, Decentralization, I think, was one of the large triggers of what went terribly wrong in Mali in the years before the the Civil War started in January uh, 2012. Uh, you have to remember that uh, Atete was on the way out. Uh, he was, it was like a June elections, I believe. Um, but the last part of his constitutional changes were supposed to go through in January, on January 1st. Um, and these included the creation of two new regions, which have since been made. Um, Prior to that, there had been a, a lot of attempts to um, create structures in northern Mali in particular um, that would have some some sort of decentralized power. And I was just reading something the other day uh, of people arguing, well, you know, these, these um, entities never got much more power than they did in Niger. And Niger didn't have this crisis, therefore that's not which couldn't be more wrong um because well they're first of all they're different states ethnically as far as majorities and and histories um they're different states as far as successfully um, creating a centralized political culture um Northern Mali the Kidal, the Fogas little statelet um, is just at the center of all of these problems. Um, And it's a creation of colonialism uh, because the French were really, really insistent upon the idea of, all right, pastoralists are dangerous and uncontrolled and farmers are good and productive. Um and we can draw a line, and this is why they really created the idea of the Sahel. Uh we can draw a line between these two. So the pastoralists uh stay up there in their bad land. It's a it's a, a unforgiving, harsh yet beautiful land um, where we can have all our romantic notions about them. Um, but we keep them up there. And the farmers who are productive, who are going to, uh, create development, they stay down here. Uh, and we, um, sort of guard that line and our approaches are much more hands off to the north of these lines. So after the, the big rising in, what was it, 1917 that swept through from, from Libya, um, the French, Forcibly dismantled the previous power, uh, um, confederate, powerful confederation that was around Timbuktu and Gao um, that had had a lot of devolved power under the French administration and gave that instead to the Afogas in um, the Otter in um, Kidal uh, and they basically ruled themselves um, as as all colonial Devolved authorities did they were expected to pay taxes, but much less demand upon them than most because they part of their job was uh to keep the Sahara uh stable so that eventual cross Sahara traffic would be possible. you know the dream of the French was always to build a railroad uh, from Gao or Timbuktu to algeria um, and their mythology about their colonialism involved a lot of heroic defeats in just that area in the Sahara. Um, So when um, decolonization happened, the French held on to uh, an area that included northern Mali in the Sahara for several years. I mean, they did all their nuclear testing in southern Algeria Algerian independence came they were still there well they're also still in northern Mali uh the Kesselie um airbase was a they built a long field airbase uh that could uh that US heavy transports could use um and they held on to that in, uh until Keita made a a real fuss about it um and the, the creation of the the independent modern Um, Malian army comes from that deal slash confrontation with the French uh, of the, the French evacuating both the base near Bamako and Gao, but also that Northern base. Um, And a crisis then occurs with a lot of people are not happy about that in the North uh, because a lot of the folks in the North, uh, the leadership Um, The I mean, for lack of it's a it's a a gross mischaracterization, but it's metaphorically nobility in these ethnicity groups Um, were really opposed to being part of Mali uh, and were really opposed to that largely because they would be ruled by blacks who they considered inherently slaves um and that notion that idea is not dead um, it's one of the things that that it, people don't like to talk about and and this has been my experience with Nigerians and Malians and, and more Malians and Nigerians given the situation um, that class relations uh, of the colonial and pre-colonial structures. Um, are not talked about, but are quite alive. And those involve in many communities and ethnic groups um, and and constellations of ethnic groups that live together, um, bonded labor communities, slave communities. Um, And that's part of what drives this, the 2012 conflict. Um, and I've seen, like Bruce Hall writes about this, uh, of going to some of the places in the northern part of the, the Niger Delta, inland delta, that had been settled um, from the 50s on um, by people from farther south, along with the Bela communities of, of formerly kind of also currently bonded. Uh, labor to to Tuareg nobles, um, the adoption of um, a ethnic identity by people from a diverse group of backgrounds of we were formerly slaves to the Tuareg, which in most cases with the families that he talked to wasn't true. Uh, their 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 grandparents had come there from Segu or someplace. Um, but this hardening of a racial boundary that has existed in, in various forms and of forms, unlike the Atlantic, uh, racial system, um, had been growing and 2012 just put a, 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 a lot of energy into that, that reformation. um, and we see this class struggle as well in in uh, the Mujao EIGS folks. Uh, a lot of folks are from the formerly bonded communities in the pool communities um, in Central Mali um, and over towards Gao, um, and consequently, you you have these miniature conflicts or these small scale conflicts between this village is made up of lower caste pool and this village is made up of the people who used to rule them and this village is made up of Dogons uh, who neither of them got along with um, because they were contesting for resources and so that first village all the boys went and joined an Islamist group So are they fighting over, I mean, not to question their, their, um, adherence to an Islamic ideology, which is real, but are they really fighting over Islam, or are they fighting over these series of class conflicts that have persisted and been made worse since decolonization and during the colonial period, um, So what happens when ate is going to create new regions in the north is he's going to give those to somebody. And that's a very tense point of who's going to win those fiefdoms. Um, um, main second, second in command name escapes me, big guy beard, um, famously killed the head of the, well, it was never proven, but everybody sort of believed, famously killed the head of one of these devolved regional bodies um, for some political disagreement. I've even forgotten. And circa 2009, um, he had a car accident driving from Kidal to to Timbuktu. And uh, so these guys are, just very, very involved in both the interifogus politics, but the the conflict between the Fogus and the um, dependent noble tribe groups uh, that make up most of the forces that are loyal to Bamako, and conflicts with the Arabs and conflicts with the Songhai-speaking uh, people who live in Kidal and communities, and so when you start shuffling the decks as you they were trying to with with decentralization you create an incredibly tense winner take all um conflict uh and this happened there's one article the name of which i can never remember that looked at um by south of bamako where a similar you know they decentralized one village committee and immediately it was well, this faction, ethnic group, um, took control of it. So this faction, caste, ethnic community, was immediately pushed out of it. So it, it in having a top-down structure, you avoid those sorts of conflicts. Um, when you create these devolved structures, even if they have no power, even if they have no budgets, which none of them really did, um, you immediately start creating these conflicts and cleavages in community communities wherever they are, wherever they come from, whether they're ethnic, which I think is overplayed, but caste and class differences um, are given a, a impetus. And so 2012 was all against all. Um, and that's, I don't think ever been resolved in part because, all the political solutions come from the same folks, the same class of people, uh, whether they're in Bamako or any place else. Um, Miriam uh, De Brun had a uh a book article from years ago that always sticks in my head, one section of which she follows, because she, you know, she was she was in the SEGU region um studying pool communities. For decades, she, you know, she actually had cattle there. She was so sort of adopted into the community, so she—it's a community she knows well. So, she, writing about Bamako and this kind of narrative story of a young man from a, what had been a bonded community comes to Bamako and finds a place to live with other people from that community, who are uh, one of whom is a successful business political. Leader's family, and they're all from upper caste. And she describes just the interactions of the them sitting on the street, shooting shit. Um, as this one guy's always the butt of the jokes. When they need tea, he always goes and gets it. That these these things persist. You um, know, it's a very unequal society, and Malians do not like to talk about. It. Um, I and I guess I can't blame them, but as an outsider it's something that really strikes me and I, I know other people um that there's a there's there are class conflicts uh on in a not fully capitalistic um political economy and it's in chaos and meanwhile capitalism is developing and another element of these conflicts is ranching cattle raising that uh, or um, centralizing um, cattle or camel sales that a lot of um, the people behind or funding some of these militias are make their money by buying out people's herds on the cheap uh, and monopolizing the uh, cattle resale markets or the camel resale markets. Um, and so they have a vested interest. And one of the things that goes on, where the American guy was killed, and American soldiers were killed in in Niger, those raids between Menaka and uh, that area in Niger have been going on for well, as long as I've been paying attention. So since the 1990s, just continually. Um, so now they're rehatted as Islamist versus anti-Islamist, but the conflicts are as much about um a Tuareg subgroup uh that did speak a language other than Tuareg excuse me, get um rivalry over um cattle and camel herding um with the pool subgroup that lives in that Nigerian area um over contesting over um, pasturage uh movement seasonal movements Um, And as capitalism, again, grows, control of markets um, for being able to sell. One of the things that that I think folks miss is in Niger, the second biggest buy uh, um, uh, financial value export of the country is cattle. Um, And it's historically done, well, not historically, historically since um, decolonization has been done um, small scale moving across the border, small scale family groups. Um, Now being much more centralized um, as domestic capital grows, accumulates. Um, And the same's somewhat true in Mali, that these are big businesses uh, that are starting to develop capitalist relations where they didn't have them before. Um, And with that comes a great deal of conflict. So yeah, I think the decentralization thing is overlooked. I think the the Jacobin centralized state bad decentralization more democratic thing is oversold, at very least, if not bunk. Um, But there are all of these little conflicts going on. And the state has no answers for them. Just no, does not protect people. So
0: well, thank you so much. I mean, that was really incredible. Um, everything you said really helped kind of okay. contextualize a lot of uh, the conflicts that, that I've also been perceiving reading mm-hmm. secondhand about it. Particularly when I was reading Idrissa's article in New mm-hmm. Left Review, he has a part where he talks about RFI, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the French press talking about the as secular independentists and, yes. and showing yeah. a clear bias towards them. And then also what I what I found interesting in, in what you're saying is, you know, overtly referring to them as as Paul Claire, like lighter yes. skin, uh, you know, as opposed to other people in Mali. And mm-hmm. there seems to be this colonial, still colonial mentality on the part of the French press uh, mm-hmm. that that has transposed itself into Mali, into academic relationships and yeah, and academics as well.
1: Um, you know, that it, in studying Saharan, especially Saharan affairs, you really see that the unbroken transition between colonial studies of how do we manage these people efficiently for the good of the empire and African studies, it's the same people. I mean, and the same bibliographies. Um, the, the French fascination with the Tuareg I often compare to the uh, Americans' fascination with the Native American Plains people is that once we murdered most of them, then we fell in love with them. So once the Tuareg were the greatest enemy in the 1880s, the the threat uh, in the way that the Arab tribes were painted as the threat in what's now Mauritania, And both those phobias fed into how these states were were colonized, where the borders were drawn and those sorts of things. Um, But, yeah, the French have a a very romantic notion based on a lot of the writing, which is very romantic uh, about the secularism, about the the matrilineal aspect of uh, uh, families, about the independence, about but about also about the mystery and the beauty of the desert. And this is instrumentalized within the Tuareg diaspora by some, not by all. Uh, and the Tuareg diaspora is really outside of Africa is split into Gulf state folks who are very different, have very different experiences and very different interests and European Folks in Belgium, especially, but also in France. Um, and there's the adoption of, yeah, I mean, the, when the MNLA, when, when it was first the MNA, the adoption of their program by so many in Europe across the political spectrum from the left and the right um, it was really another measure of of this colonial legacy. And so it it wasn't that much of a surprise. So it was a bit of a shock when the French refused to go on to Kidal, um, because they really, they bought all of this stuff that the only people who can resist the Islamists are the secular Tuareg. Well, the fact that so many of the secular Tuareg were in the Islamist groups, uh, were living side by side with with folks who were uh, within the secular the secular groups and their views religiously don't tend to actually be that different um, all sort of lost um, there's massive contestation within the Tuareg because it's a wounded community again decolonization has done them no favors um, and the but the continued European fascination with the Tuareg traditional way of life I don't think does them any favors either because it's you know that state structure that that functioned when the French came and broke it is not coming back in part because it relies relied upon bonded labor uh from other communities um and and so there's an element in the sum of some of the people who are trying to sort of recapture that golden age that is is equally and we need to put the blacks in their place, um, which is really unpleasant obviously and that said, there's a lot of there's a lot of exterminationist um, racism against, Tuareg and Arab folks, um, their lynchings happen, not, you know, on a fairly, fairly regular basis in um, Bamako and places around that. Um, there's the, the, the mixture of the anybody light-skinned is the enemy is a lot of people believe that, um. And it's, uh, it's been made worse by this whole process, obviously. Um, And I don't, I don't know when that's going to get better, unfortunately.
0: So I'm interested just to, there's obviously so much to talk about with Molly and it's impossible to even do justice to it, but just to pivot to your, your area of expertise on Niger. Mm. I'm curious because there seems to be an implication in again, some of the people studying Francifrique and how it's evolving uh, to talk about what's next in Niger, mm. whether yeah. there's coming instability, no. uh, a coming coup, something like that. So do you have any analysis or, or the potential prediction for what will happen in Niger?
1: Well, it's it's really hard to tell. I mean, it's uh, I tend to, for Mali, I tend to be on the, the much more conservative play downside of the effects of Libya on Mali. I mean, I think they're real, but nowhere near as great as they're sold to be but in in niger and in chad especially um these are are remain that instability in, in libya remains a huge threat and then there's nigeria and then there's you know what's going on in burkina faso now burkina faso is really the center of insurgencies um they're not to mention Mali. um so they're beset on all sides. Um, Niger, the Nigerian political class has been much more successful uh, at, in part because they've been much more authoritarian, in part because they're not unified competing interests against the regional competing interests against them, um, has been much more successful in assimilating northern communities into uh, the center of the political class Bazoum is Arab um, so and that's that's almost incomprehensible in a, in a Malian context I mean to have an Arab as president in, in a, a real presidential role not a ceremonial presidential role is uh, would be uh, hard to imagine uh, so Niger has a lot of those sort of things going for them. Um, they're also propped up by the French and the Americans and the Americans, and that's where the Americans have their, their big bases in is in Niger. Um, so, and, and also, as I was saying, you know, it, the mines may be uh, declining, but 14% of, uh, French electrical energy comes from the uranium that comes from Niger and that's not easily replaceable, especially well, with, with what's happening in, in Russia. If we're going to have a new cold war with Russia, that's, you know, 15, 20% of the gas that comes into France, um, comes from, from Russia. So they're already losing a, a large part of their, their, uh, ability to, power homes and businesses, factories, um, they're not going to let go of that 14% easily. Um, I would imagine what's the dream that the French would have is to turn Niger into another Chad. And I, I don't think that's likely to happen given who the ruling class are uh, versus to the ruling class, the governing class are at the top levels, and Chad, who come out of northern uh, militia groups, um, I mean, there's a reason Davy uh, was killed while fighting because he was that guy. Uh, then there's nothing like that in 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 Niger at all, in the political class or, or anywhere else. Um, And the demography is all different, of course. Um, and and the amount of money they're getting. I mean, Niger the way Niger is more like Mali is that they are every year behind the eight ball structurally, financially. Um, you know, that they thought a lot of people thought, especially and worrisomely, a lot of the people, general public thought that um the Chinese uh, oil refinery was really going to put them in good stead. And it's, it's a small refinery and uh, IMF is insistent as they always are with everybody is sell it, sell it, sell it it out, export it. Um, And, you know, uh, Nigerians were extremely angry and disappointed, especially because there's there's a long history going back into the 1990s of, well-organized, uh, uh, um, what's the term in English, um, uh, uh, cost-of-living uh, protests uh, by people who became very influential politically and are now very influential politically, uh, of street-level protests that developed into a real infrastructure of, of protests around the country and all, all the major towns. So um, when uh, petrol prices went up rather than went down, there is a lot of unhappiness about that. Uh, What Niger has that creates instability apart from wars on every border um, is that they have, unlike Mali, a real political opposition. Now, it's not an ideological political opposition at all um but uh in places like Zinder and, and a number of other regional areas um and Hanyame as well um powerful political forces mayors um, uh, assembly members business people uh who are absolutely committed to opposition to um the current government um and the previous government um and you know the the historic leader of that opposition is um it would be bad if he got into power i think he's 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 old enough now that he's sidelined but he was uh, Tanya's uh, prime minister for a long time, and he was very famous for being the one that, when there was a famine happening in the south and and uh, east of the country, saying that this was all a Western plot, uh, that there was no famine, and that you know basically you know that this was manipulation. And there was some, and to be fair, there was there was a lot of NGO power grabbing that was going on through that, uh, but the sort of callousness in which he carried out politics and switched parties and uh, fought against his former sponsors. Um, I I mean, I remember talking to somebody who interviewed him once and it was like, he's a scary person. (laughs) He's just a scary guy. Um, So there, there's a, at least he's, I think, aging out, but there's a powerful implacable, Political opposition in Niger um, that would be just as friendly to the United States and France, um, even though they, they, I think, the current st- structure that their their uh, coalition structure that they're in has Pan African in their title someplace. Um, they're not ideological, um, and so that's a that I see as a threat. Um, but then people have tentatively for the last decade really uh adopted the Nigerian miracle um kind of construction of like, why did everything work in Nigeria? And things didn't all work in Nigeria. I mean, it's you know, it's like saying everything worked in Cameroon or Togo. I mean, it's when you have a fairly authoritarian government, things look like they I mean things looked like they worked in Burkina Faso, right? Until they didn't anymore. Um the it's the same sort of hollowed out state Niger though spends a lot of money on the military which it didn't used to um and it's starting to get in the the Chadian model a competent military uh that may be able to project power um and that may be a mark for or against stability i'm not sure Uh, there's a there, there's a lot to say and uh, you know i i the one thing that i forgot that i think is is probably to hit on is the role of agadez in the north uh and the arab communities in the north uh west um who have gotten very prosperous from from trade and trafficking trade that they were always involved in trafficking the distinction is usually meaningless but uh from an international, political, and policing standpoint, um, they will get labeled as trafficking. And from the folks who are uh, who are treated poorly uh, as you uh, know trying to immigrate to Europe, uh, they probably have some some uh, point about that. Um, so there's a lot of money that travels through those northern areas that could change given what goes on in Libya um and could change given what goes on and what the Algerians decide to do and um and instability could make that worse and that would be a lot of money out of a lot of powerful people's pockets really quick and so I mean that you, you can't count out as being a center of of instability the way it was you know in 2005-67 um but I mean the 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 way the, the Nigerians handled it is they went and killed everybody. Um and and said, but if you want to be bought off, we're available for that too. Um, and sadly that's that's effective. Um what happened in Mali was they deputized everybody and that made everything worse. Um and but that's a common, you know, that's a common problem in these neocolonial states is the trying to buy off opposition trying to buy off separatist groups trying to buy off regional powers giving everybody a slice um and you know that's why the this um decentralization can be so dangerous is that it does it gives everybody another slice of a rapidly declining or shrinking pie um and uh, You know, I think the Nigerians manage it better than that. The political class knows that. Um, But it could happen, could happen there too.
0: Well, that, that will definitely be something to watch and and see. And and similarly, I have two final questions, I guess, kind of related. Um, The first being, what is the evolution and what is the future of, France Afrique as as mm. it is, as it's mm. changing, as Macron is trying to adjust or potentially keep it stable. And then of course we have, as we were talking about much earlier, which I think will become very pressing for all of these yeah. concerns, is how does how you know how does France Afrique become part of the broader NATO coalition? Yeah. Uh I mean there's of course a history of France with NATO and and France is kind of I don't know if you'd say rebellious streak or oh, its yeah. desire to have its kind of sovereignty over its own international or colonial affairs, and then the next part of that is, and similarly related is, and this is almost kind of an existential question, but but what does one do as a, a you know a leftist in the United States or or if you're involved in in left wing activities in in any of the countries? I mean, what is even the potentiality for action? uh, in your view, um, on the horizon.
1: So, uh, the, the last thing first, because I have strong feelings about it, um, because I know lots of people who are center-left-left, left, um, who, um, and people who are left, very left, who have the opposite, um, of people who say, well, let's come up with the Bernie, uh, you know, foreign policy plan, and that's going which is, in my view, nonsense.
0: The, I agree.
1: <laughs> just absolute useless nonsense. And, you know, people who work in the policy field, they, they that I've been learning over the years, and I now have fairly strong feelings about, is the, uh, the compunction that they're living under, that they've got to give a bulleted point of uh, how you fix this at the end, so warps their view of any of these conflicts that it's really dangerous um these are not conflicts that you know it's like it's like policing and white supremacy uh the system works the way it does i mean it's supposed to have that outcome you can't reform a system designed to terrorize black people into not terrorizing black people um similarly you can't reform a world system that keeps these states in penury Uh, and dependent uh, into one which these states aren't facing constant conflict and poverty uh, from the poverty that this comes from uh, and instability and coups. And you you can't give a bullet point saying, well, suddenly all of the actors in these institutions should behave in the opposite of the interests of the institutions and say that's going to solve something. So the best thing I always say that as leftists we can do is to change our countries. Um, we need to change the United States into a non-capitalist or a less capital something. Uh, I, I mean, I'd like to say a socialist society, but that seems so far off. Um, but fighting international capital in the heart of international capital is the best thing we can do for Mali and Niger. Um, it's and and that can create uncomfortable conflicts when France first intervened in 2013 in a big way in in Mali. Uh, amongst the people who supported it uh, was Samir Amin. Now. A lot of people said, oh, that's so sad. He's so, you know, he must be getting old. He's getting done. Samir Amin was was finance minister of Mali. I mean, he he was a Mali. And the, not just the political class, but universally, even the people who were were and are the most firebrand anti-imperialists, Um, welcomed or at least stayed completely silent when France uh, intervened because they were legit terrified. I mean, and I think, and people have since said, well, no, the French made Kona into a much bigger thing than it was. I I don't think that's the case unless we were all completely misinformed at the time. Um, I think they were coming uh, and it was going to get bad. And, um, but at the same time, and I can remember having arguments with people, the French left was really resolute in opposing French intervention. And I think that's what the left has to do. Even if in this situation, the Malians wanted it, the French left has to say, it's not in the interests of Malians, but more importantly, it's not in the interest of French working people. Empowering French imperialism makes everybody's life worse. It makes working people in French, in France's life worse. It makes Malian's lives worse. Witness what we're seeing right now. Um, The, the, the job of leftists is to oppose, of leftists in imperial states is to oppose, oppose imperial states. I I saw somebody today um, who's well-known saying, well, you know, Lenin said that, that, uh, The only thing that could stop the war was stop war was uh, uh, the um, the United working class rising up um, in the country that caused it. Well, Lenin didn't say that. Lenin said all working people everywhere, people who were invaded like the French, people who felt they were attacked like the Germans, they don't get a pass on saying our interests are with war and imperialism um so yeah i think that's that's my my didactic prescriptive and i've forgotten the first two questions so i'm sorry
0: no that was an excellent answer and i think i i completely agree with what you said about action here and and how to understand the necessary especially with as you're saying uh, i mean people are starting to reread the the old canon on, on war and revolutionary defeatism and, and everything. And so we just have to start thinking about the wars that have been happening is particularly in Mali. But the first question was just on the changing nature of France-Afrique and Um, the prediction for how it'll look. Yeah.
1: You know, people have buried France-Afrique several times. Um, Every time from, from uh, uh, Mitterrand, on er, almost every president gives a speech saying that that we've moved on from France-Afrique and academics all, all all argue that that's dead. And I spend a lot of time arguing with people who are very smart and know a lot more than me. Um, uh, historians, especially, I uh, say like France-Afrique is an expression of neocolonialism. It is not neocolonialism. So um, a if French neocolonialism in Africa is France-Afrique, then there is always a form of France-Afrique that's going to happen as long as, uh, French capitalists and imperialists, uh, look to, to African countries. Um, and the depth of the relationship is such that that's going to be sometime that said, um, one of the drivers, not, not, totally but one of the drivers is just the amount of import export relations with France you, you see for years and years and years people uh, would republish these charts of you know Togolese well, togo is probably not a good example it was the Ghana border thing but say Burkinabe or Gabonian or or um, Congo-Brazzaville's trade relations. The number one trading partner in is France. our number one trading partner out is France. It's not their neighbors. um, And even where it is their neighbors, where Benin and and Nigeria are completely economically interrelated. A, most of that's off the books. But even if Nigeria is their number one trade partner, France is number two. Well, in the last 10 years, that has changed. That France keeps dropping down points because the Chinese are the number one trade partners in all these things. Um, Very quietly um, and sort of organically, not art, not like some big coming in and taking a bunch of contracts um, or building new mines, though that happens. Um, But that there's just a lot of ground level trade from everything you want to buy in uh, a market in Bamako is like everything here it's made in China um and there are a lot of Chinese people and there's a there's a, a member of the National Assembly in uh, in Mali or there was until the coup happened uh who's Chinese um Chinese Malian um uh, just a woman who's a trader in somewhere in central Mali um but married a a Malian African um, It's part of the community um so the i don't want to use terms like threat but the the growth of the interrelatedness of chinese imports and exports and if you will capitalism um though obviously that's a point of debate um is a huge threat to france and not like a head-on threat, it's a threat that's going to undermine the interests of French capitalism in these countries. So as these firms are forced out of African markets, and it needn't be, you know, huge import-export, but one firm that hires lobbyists can do 20% of its business in West Africa, that's a big thing that they will lobby legislators about continually um, as those firms become less invested in either importing raw materials from west african states or exporting finished goods to west african states um, there's less drive for that neocolonial relationship um the problem is, of course, it's going to remain a neocolonial relationship as long as Bretton Woods institutions financially discipline them. Um there's no chance for import substitution. There's no ch- not there's just not capital. Um now that's changing. There's capital in, in Nigeria, and I, I think that's the path forward, is uh the growth finally of uh, trade with neighbors and investment with neighbors. And Nigerians have in the last decade or two uh, made huge strides in investing in Yame in particular, uh, where it's very, very visible as opposed to along the border where there would always been a lot of investments. Um, and that's going to be, that's going to be the way out, but you know, it's 30 years of, underdevelopment that we're looking at in the future uh, that's going to be really hard and then and we get into all the demographic questions because that's going to change as more capitalist relations um, so yes France will lose its control over these countries because the neocolonial relationship will die eventually as these com- countries manage to shake off dependency uh, but it's a crooked long road um how france is going to react in the interim with all of the the world going to shit you know who knows how the french are going to to want to impose greater strictures greater conflicts and this new cold war thing if this happens it's it's really worrisome um to see the French pull out completely and they haven't pulled out completely, but make a show of pulling out completely in in the way that they uh, made a big show of pulling out completely and cutting all of their funding uh, in Central African Republic, which is a big hole, Um, but remain in the neighborhood, remain across the border and remain carrying out uh, military, missions in mali and because they are going to continue to carry out military missions in mali there's no question about it um under the auspices of the un under the auspices of of one-to-one relations with with uh, the fama um and on their own um so the french aren't going anywhere anytime soon but you know if the crisis of capitalism happens and everything uh collapses in france maybe. Get lucky, but in that way, the the two two answers are are uh, interlinked because the problem of these West African countries is the problem of world capitalism. It's it's not the problem of you know Bayer and people like that uh, spent a lot of time writing about what was wrong with the African state without ever you know, and there were really this is the thing I was reading something the other day they were really right in a lot of ways but the problem was not that they misunderstood african states and societies which they did a lot but so much as they misunderstood the world Uh, african states are even though they're in a dependency relationship are in this globalized capitalist world and the reason they're dependent is because of that world and the reason that that France-Afrique persists in some form or another is due to the world capitalist system and France's place in the world capitalist system as much as Niger and Mali's place. And so it's really the the future of both of those sides that's going to evolve in different ways. And I don't see, a final point, I don't see uh, how the hope of Malian nationalists uh, and a lot of Pan-Africanist folks who I agree with on a lot of things is going to be fulfilled that they are going to be able to make a brave stand in one country uh, or even in a block of countries and say enough BASTA kick out the colonialists we'll develop Uh, the resources just don't exist it was possible during the Cold War when there were large countervailing forces and perhaps this cold war will evolve the way people in the white house seem to want it to where it's going to include china and russia against the world if that happens that's actually probably a boon for these countries because now there's a rival power that they can turn to um, regardless of the motives of that rival power um, even if it is a capitalist rival power um, but given that given in a, a largely unipolar world they're stuck. Um, And it's going to be a slow, I don't believe though in the, 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 you know, the dependency theory from the seventies, the, the sort of vulgar dependency theories is they're stuck forever. These things, capitalism penetrates uh, and this capitalist development restructures societies, but it's just a long, slow suffering to get to someplace that's only as good as you know capitalist development which is then a whole other thing so yeah the 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 french are going to be there as long as the french have interests in global capital if france collapses the eu collapses that's going to change that but um as long as as uh, France is a power at all in, in the capitalist world. They're going to continue to meddle in these countries in in more
0: or less obvious ways. Yeah. Anyway. Well, thank you so much for, for this interview. It was fantastic. And I would love, I'm following all these events and would love to talk again oh, in absolutely. the future. I'll, I'll stay in touch by email so you have my email and. Mm-hmm if you're okay, we'll, we'll publish this. Uh, we'll use the notes as well from it for our writing as a student group, we kind of discuss Mm -hmm. uh, our writing together and what we're interested in putting out, but, uh, I'll be, I'll be back in touch and, uh, and thank you. And, and, um, you know, with everything happening just yesterday, uh, you know, good luck. We'll we'll both have (laughs) to stay sane out there. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I'm watching it because it's, it's a lot to comprehend. Yeah, I'm I'm
1: I'm sure. Um All right, well yeah, you stay safe. Remember we're still in a global pandemic About <laughs> everything else. So <laughs> um so yeah. Uh well, great. I'm glad it was useful to you in some ways and any uh, critique criticism uh that you think's useful uh of my points, I'd love to hear also. Um so take care. I will talk to you soon. Thanks so much. Take care.